this place is different. Special. The others don't want to talk about it because it scares them. But we all know it. We all feel it. Welcome to The Storm, a Lost Rewatch podcast. My name is Dave Gonzalez, and I would have Sawyer read the Hardy Boys out loud to put me to sleep. My name is Joanna Robinson, and I would have Sawyer, like all bad boyfriends, read Infinite Jest out loud to put me to sleep. (laughs) And I'm Neil Miller, and if I were looking to have Sawyer put me to sleep, I would have him read A Feast for Crows by George R. R. Martin, uh, because George would do all the heavy lifting there. And uh, <laughs> can I real quick? Can I just say that that's the longest it's ever taken me to read a book? Like I read those first three in like a month, and then it took me like eighteen months to read A Feast for Crows. So there you go. That's for the Game of Thrones folks who are still sticking with us. But you get it in Sweet Sawyer voice, but right, yeah. you get it with that Southern drawl. It's very charming. We're of. <laughs> Of course, referencing the cutest plotline of Lost Season 1, Episode 21, The Greater Good, which we will be covering on this the week's podcast. The Greater Good. <laughs> the Greater, greater Good. good. Uh, it, usually not a great thing to like say you're defending uh, on television shows, especially hour-long uh, network dramas. I can't think of the last person who was like doing something for the greater good that I was like, yes. You're right. You're definitely right. Anyway, <laughs> it's a little too early. If this is your first time joining us for the show, we split it into two sections. The Calm, which you were in now, and we'll continue until about halfway through the show, maybe a little bit more, and include our interview. And that is only discussing things that uh, have happened so far on the television show Lost. We are 21 episodes into the first season. There's a lot of story to discuss, but not all of the story, because we know Lost did last through a two-part season six much later and had lots of stuff happen to all the characters, and sometimes it looped back to stuff in the first season. We'll talk about that, too, in a section we call The Storm. It's our spoiler section. It's the second half of the podcast. You could see it on your uh, podcast app. There should be a little time code if you want to jump ahead, or if you just want to stop after the calm and then later come back and do The Storm whatever is good for you if you would like to support us you go to patreon.com slash storm of spoilers that's where you also get our bonus content like extra podcasts uh weird music uh scribbly serial killery notes and uh, you get some <laughs> extended <laughs> interviews <laughs> extended interviews uh yeah 
you know, I should have probably led with the extended interviews because that's definitely some A-plus content. You should go to patreon.com slash dumbest Check it out. Almost done with my little bit here. I have something very exciting uh, to announce. We've done a live show down where Neil is. We've done a live show over where Joanna lives. Now we're bringing the storm down to Boulder, Colorado on November 21st at the Canyon Theater. It's at the Boulder Public Library. Um, we're going to have more details coming up, including like how to make sure you could get tickets and uh, a start time, you know, things that you'll probably need to know. But the important things to know right now, live show, November 21st, Canyon Theater in Boulder, Colorado. If you've been paying attention to the storm schedule, and why wouldn't you, you know that we are doing Star Wars for the holidays. And yes, we'll be kicking off some Star Wars talk uh, in Boulder. That doesn't necessarily mean we'll be starting with the prequels. We'll probably be discussing better Star Wars in Boulder, but we'll be talking about Star Wars. Uh, come out <laughs> and see us then. Better Star Wars in Boulder. The better Star the Wars with in the Boulder. Storm. Uh, keep listening to the podcast for more details or subscribe at patreon.com slash storm with spoilers to know first. All right. That's enough for me. Joanna, do we have any reviews from our wonderful listeners this week? We do. Not only do we have some American reviews, which thank you so much, Americans, um, but we had both a British listener and a listener from Australia, like screen cap and send us uh, some foreign reviews. Um, and so I have one that I'm thinking of reading. Oh God, I haven't done an accident in so long, but this, Review from somewhere in the UK starts with, in all caps, feel free to do this in a British accent. So I have consent from Charles to do this review in a British accent. Should I do it? Yes? If you can. I mean, I think giving it a try is worthwhile. Oh, wow. You yeah, no one's going to fault you for trying. <laughs> oh, you might. <laughs> <laughs> um, Like, what kind of British accent should I do? No, Like a mind. Charlie? Don Monaghan. Mm, I can't do Manchester very uh, well. Yeah, okay. I was gonna say, like, asking what type of British accent I should do is usually not the question that comes right after, like, should I do this? <laughs> <laughs> like a Dickensian London. <laughs> Please, sir, can I have some more? Exactly. <laughs> this, this might be goodbye. Five stars, Charles. Um, I'm a very, very long time listener for this podcast, but I've never sent an email or written a review before today. As someone who's only read the first books and parts of A Song of Ice and Fire, all the inside knowledge and added content from you guys made the, more, the show more pleasant a more pleasant experience. To be honest, I would have stopped watching Game of Thrones a long time ago if it weren't for you. I've really just watched the show so I can listen to your reviews. I haven't been enjoying the Game of Thrones very much for a while now. And to everyone saying that your show has gotten too, oh no, has got too negative or that Joanna isn't any good, fine, go somewhere else. But it's so clear the amount of hard work that goes into this and how informative and inclusive to different opinions you all are. I'm sad that this will be ending. I've never seen Lost and I'm too scared to invest into a show, which I think ended similarly to how I think Game of Thrones is going to end. So this might be goodbye, but not like a Jon Snow goodbye. If I was leaving the North forever, I would have given Ghost a five-star review first. All the best, Abby. All right, signed Abby, but from Charles. So I don't know, but thank you to whomever wrote this. Um, and my deepest apologies to, you know, the queen in the entire realm. Also, um, somebody that they decided Abby to do Lost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hope Otherwise, their friends need to alert them that <laughs> the accent went down. <laughs> <laughs> this is like, we're 21 episodes in. They, I, I really hope that they made it. Okay. Yeah. Not my 
let's be really, really clear. Not my worst accent work. Okay. No, um, no, it was very, very. No, you pleasant. got the time period right and everything. It, it was like huh. bouncing between Kira Knightley and Joanna Robinson. Oh, okay. <laughs> what two pleasant accents I could not possibly dream of. All right. So uh, if you want to leave us a review on iTunes, we'd really appreciate it. You can also email us host at stormpodcast.com. I'm going to read an email in a second from a listener. So that's where you can email us. If you have some thoughts about these episodes, you can reach us on Twitter at storm podcast. That's where we put some polls and uh, post when new episodes drop and that sort of stuff. So follow us on Twitter at storm podcast. Uh, you can go to stormpodcast.com where we will have all that information about our, Colorado live show and everything else that's coming up. You can find it over at stormpodcast.com. Um, I want you to stay tuned after the comm section uh, for our interview with a friend of mine. I don't know, a, a Twitter acquaintance of mine, um, Jana Zagari. And Jana, I wanted to talk to because she has done social media for some of the biggest uh, brands there are for Tumblr, for Marvel, for all these big brands. And she's sort of an expert on fandom. So I got to talk to her about the lost fandom and how it was created and how it grew and all this sort of stuff. So Stay tuned for that conversation. That's a real fun one. Um, but before we get to all of that, I want to read this email from Abby, which is very pertinent uh, to this episode of Lost, uh, or actually is more pertinent to last week. Sorry, but but we are sort of a week ahead, a week behind of our listeners. So this is when this came in. Actually, I'm so sorry. This email is from Delia. All my facts are wrong. Okay. <laughs> so Delia wrote in, this is about Jack. Who else? <laughs> iPod parents. I'm a first time watcher of Lost, just finished first season. And I still really have no idea what's going on, but I'm enjoying the hell out of it. There's one thing that has stuck out to me, though, and that is that Jack Shepard is a terrible doctor. I've been taking notes on all the weird things he does and stuff he gets wrong. I'm a nurse and I'm certainly not an expert on neurosurgery or magical island medicine, but I generally know what I'm talking about here. I have four pages of notes, which are shared on the Slack. And she did. She popped, she popped them in the Slack this morning. Uh, but here's the TLDR version. Number one, way too optimistic about his ability to save everyone, especially the Marshall and Boone. Two, seems to not know what he's doing uh, when assessing his patients. For example, the Marshall, Boone, Charlie and Withdrawal, Sawyer. Three, does the worst CPR I have ever seen on Charlie. Number four, <laughs> mansplains breathing to Shannon during her asthma attack. Number five, ignores Claire's concern and expertly diagnoses her as having her baby, quote unquote, soon number six asks sawyer unnecessarily about his sexual history during an eye exam just to embarrass him dick move number seven marries a former patient which is not okay number eight stabs boone in the chest after deciding that his lung has collapsed just by looking at him number <laughs> what am i on number nine does the world's worst blood transfusion that is a terrible idea and risky for everyone number 10 probably makes things worse by trying to set the leg fracture that he didn't need to number 11 has no idea how delivering a baby works. Number 12 doesn't even try to get consent from Boone before amputating. Who doesn't want it? Uh, so, so Delia posted a, like a multi-page, much more in depth with like links and sources, uh, <laughs> version of this in our Slack. So if you want to pop into our Slack and, and check that out, it might be gone by now, uh, because Delia, by the time you're listening to this, posted this last week, but, um, it's, uh, it's great stuff. I know that our producer Diana is going to be sharing some tidbits from it on our Twitter feed, which is all the more reason to follow, uh, at Storm Podcast on Twitter. And that is my section of the podcast done oh, boom flashback hiring can be a challenge as codable co-founder gretchen hebner discovered 
Gretchen needed to hire a game artist for her education tech company. She knew it wouldn't be easy to find someone to grow with her team. That's why she went to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. It technologically identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast. Gretchen posted her job on ZipRecruiter and said she was impressed with how quickly she found qualified applicants. She also used ZipRecruiter's screening questions to filter her candidates so she could focus on the best ones. And that is how Gretchen found a new game artist in less than two weeks. With results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at their web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash storm. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash S-T-O-R-M. ZipRecruiter.com slash storm. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. End flashback. Neil, remind us what happened this week on the island. Well, Dave, this episode, as you've quite so eloquently pointed out, is called The Greater Good. This episode is directed by David Grossman, who is a uh, veteran of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It was written by Leonard Dick, who also wrote the episode in translation earlier in the season. Uh, It takes place on day 42 on the island, and it aired May 4th, 2005. In flashback, Saeed is strong-armed by two governments into infiltrating a terrorist cell that counts one of his former school friends as one of its members. They also claim to know where Nadia is, which is dick move. Uh, Saeed joins the terrorist cell, tries to protect his friend, and it does not end well for his friend. Uh, we learn also that Saeed changed his flight in order to stay and bury his friend properly, which uh, at this point I think is 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 how he ended up on flight 815. I don't actually remember if that's how it turns out, so that's not a spoiler. Uh, he was headed for Nadia in Los Angeles. On the island, Kate finds Jack, who has been walking in circles, definitely not finding Locke. Uh, the gang goes to the Booneral, uh, which we talked about that term last week. Uh, they bury him in one of the many tarps that's still on the island. Uh, Locke shows up. Jack totally loses it. And all of this before the opening title, which I felt was just, that's, wow, so much. Uh, Charlie begins calling the baby Turniped. The baby also does not officially have a name yet. Still tracking that. Uh, Locke apologizes to Shannon, who in return basically asks Saeed to kill him. Uh, so she's doing okay. Uh, Kate roofies Jack because he won't sleep and he I won't think, take I think, I think sleeping pills, right? preferred term is gooped. <laughs> yeah. Kate, Kate aggressively Kate goops pulls, Jack. Yeah. Kate pulls a lock and goops Jack. That's what yeah. happens there. Uh, lock and Saeed take a walk, find the plane, uh, have a lot of very aggressive conversation. Uh, Charlie discovers that the baby enjoys listening to Toyer, listening to Sawyer talk shit or mostly just talk. Uh, so they read to him from a magazine and it's completely adorable. Uh, Shannon steals the key, the gun key from Jack, gets a gun, and then kind of shoots Locke in the head. You know, only barely misses, thanks to Saeed. It all ends with Saeed telling John that it's time to stop lying about the hatch. Fun fact about this episode not only did uh, Michael Giacchino name the track on this episode Boonerol, 
which we <laughs> believe discussed last week. There's also a song titled Shenanigans, which is Shenanigans, <laughs> which is a which is actually a variant on Locke's theme. Uh, we looked this up. So, by the way, we we've known about this for so long and had to sit on it, and I like could not wait for fucking Boone to die so that I yep. could say Booneral. Yeah, <laughs> we have reached the Booneral. Uh, all right, this week's uh, calm question: Do you think that Saeed ever believed Locke's initial explanation about the hatch? Like, you know, where he's like, "Oh, there's hatches on a plane, Saeed." Like, we're pretty sure Saeed knew he was lying the whole time, right? So here's the deal. Yes. Um, I like the theory that Saeed always knows when people are lying to him because I don't think it's a spoiler to say for the most part with one exception that I can think of off the top of my head. This is true for the rest of the series. Is that a spoiler? I don't know. I just, uh, <laughs> I will just notice that in an episode, it's a general Saeed, truism about Saeed Saeed is just, like, mostly really right. good at figuring out if people are lying to him. But in this episode, we are, see, we already see that like, we are reminded of the lie that Saeed already fell for, right? Because Locke tells him. Mm-hmm. Am I, I'm not getting confused, right? Locke tells him that he knocked yeah, him over the head. This episode. Yeah. yeah. But so, it's, like, it's also interesting so how much he deflects that. that he, yeah, like also at that point was like, go kill Sawyer for it, which does not come up this episode. So, but I will say I'm, I'm like, I be- I'm a Saeed believer in this episode, and every time he goes like, "I know when I'm being lied to, John," I'm like, "I believe you, Saeed. <laughs> I believe you." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean this this is a very good Saeed uh, on the island episode. Like, I really love all the stuff with Locke. Uh, the flashbacks are a different story. Yeah. Here's, here's well, the flashbacks I- are really fucked. Oh. Oh no, no, I want to stay on that scene for a while because this is like my favorite scene of the episode and one of my favorite scenes of the first season is Locke and Saeed uh, at the Beechcraft uh, having like this battle of the wits and then eventually, you know, a Glock comes out and there, there's there's pointing and there's s- meaningful stares. Uh, I guess this is also a good time to ask this in the calm section. Is Locke a bad guy, Joanna? No. You don't think so? No. He seems I think, to have like a really selective you know way what, with when he when he tells the truth. You he, know what I think? I think Locke uh, believes that what he is doing here is for the greater good. Yeah, the is that a good, good. That's, that's the quality of a of a of a hero in this in this case. Did I say hero? No, I think there's a lot of gray area between bad guy and hero, and that's the thing that you're stubbornly consistently refusing <laughs> to acknowledge just because i don't think he's like the villain of the piece or the villain of this episode doesn't mean i think he's like the hero of the show i don't even know if i could tell you who i think well no i know who i think the hero of the show is but um yeah um i i love when saeed says in that in that scene i'm not getting off that scene in that scene when um Saeed says that earns you adaptability. Like, oh, that's a really good line. Um, in terms of like, yeah, luck is luck is being cagey and crafty, and you know, but I, but not, I think, in a way where he's trying to hurt people, and I think that's a distinction. Uh, what do you think, Neil? Um, I agree. I think that Locke and Locke, for the most part, in this episode 
is telling the truth. He's just really doesn't want to tell anyone about the hatch. Like that's his line. I will say his hatch, like his his hatch response is really fast. <laughs> <laughs> that is which hatch? Yeah, he hatches on a plane. His hatch is on what? plane sight. What? What do what? you? Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't feel like he's acting in a way that he feels is hurtful. Um, but I do think that there is, you know, we can tell that, that John, especially in this episode is still believes that he's meant to be on the Island and still believes that the fact that they're on the Island is a good thing. Whereas everyone else is, you know, building a raft, you know, and this comes up in the conversation with Saeed where it's like, it's John, this is the first time John sort of outing himself as like, like team Island versus team rescue and to like another character other than just kind of him and Boone and maybe Walt to a certain extent. But, uh, which I think is interesting. It's an interesting like Island politics play for him to sort of try to have that be a thing that, that he and Saeed are together on, I guess. I don't know. I don't know if he thinks he can win Saeed to his side, but he does firmly believe that they're supposed to be there so i think he's only acting to toward that end yeah i think i think it was um on the season one dvd or whatever this is listed as also being named sides or something mm-hmm. like that i think that was, was like the original title or something yeah so i definitely think at the end that saeed is more on lock side or that um he thinks he could be on lock side but still be in a position of power where his safety isn't threatened which just feels like I believe that watching the episode and watching the journey, especially with uh, Saeed's flashbacks being what they are and having the, you know, particular political punch of the early two thousands that uh, they do, you know, like how much can a government bait you into a terrorist attack before it's really not your fault. And it's maybe the government's fault. So those things are all around the whole John Locke issue. But I think at the end, I'm like, yes, Saeed, if Locke takes Saeed to the hatch right now, Saeed will agree with Locke's premise that he proposed, uh, you know, at the Beechcraft, that it's actually worthwhile staying on the island. Um, And I can't think of another point in this season upcoming that I could remember that Saeed flips. So I'm going to say this is this is probably it as far as I know. Joanna, too. Am I being too sidey? Am I being too survivor in this in this lost episode? I think you're always being too binary. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're always ignoring the shades of gray. <laughs> well, I but mean, I like lot... you so much, even though you're really wrong about this thing. So, <sighs> I mean, the, a lot of the episode is about more or less trying to figure out where your line stands on the shades of gray right so like in the whole flashback situation is there any like protagonist in the flashback are there any good choices in the flashback right that's the point right (laughs) shades of gray something that i want to talk about that we haven't uh talked about yet in the com is uh and i don't know if people watching week to week will be as bothered by people watching the episodes back to back but the complete fake out cliffhanger of the last week's episode, we talked about this in the story last <laughs> week. The fact that, like, last week's episode starts, ends with Jack saying, like, I'm going to kill John Locke. And then, like, this week's episode, Kate's like, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> Shh, 
go to sleep, buddy. <laughs> like, and that's just a really stupid, like, it's like, oh, there's going to be a big confrontation. Nope. It's a Saeed and John show instead, actually. And also, uh, and I will talk about this a little later too. Um, it is absolute bullshit that this is a Saeed episode, uh, when this should clearly be a Shannon episode. Uh, if not, you know, some, no, nope, have- it should just be a Shannon episode, not her boyfriend I- episode. I absolutely agree with that, but I think I found a reason for the heavy-handed cliffhanger uh, in researching. They had a clip show air in between last week's episode and this week's episode uh, in the original air date, so they really needed to be like, come back next week, uh, because or a week after next week, because next week we're going to have a clip show of the first episodes of Lost. Um, yeah. Come back the week after. Jack is definitely going to try to kill John Locke or take a nap. (laughs) One of those things is going to (laughs) happen. Well, it's like, Jack forgot. uh, Did you forget that Jack can't track anything in the jungle? The show didn't forget. Wait, is this where we should talk about this new segment we've decided to introduce uh, to the show? Uh, Possibly. I think we decided this last week. I can't remember if we decided it on air or not, but like the... uh, the Boone Carlisle Memorial uh, Falling Down Award. Uh, the, Teresa, the Teresa Memorial Falling Down Award. <laughs> or or Teresa. Teresa. Or the Boone's Nanny Award. The Boone. <laughs> I like calling it the Boone Carlisle Memorial. The Boone Carlisle. Sorry, with my apologies to, to Teresa. So Teresa's fall sounded bad, but Boone's was real bad. Oh, uh, Teresa like fell on her neck, so Teresa's was very bad, and she died but um so did Boone. so anyway uh last week the winner of the boone carlisle um memorial falling down award was obviously jack shepherd this week it is who falls down this week also jack shepherd uh i he bet does she, fall does, down on the beach does shannon fall down no does no. kate fall down Locke, Locke falls down after getting grazed in the head it's pretty memorable we'll give it to john Locke. i say we give it to john okay. Locke. John Locke. Yeah, I mean, you, sir. If I could play some Chumbawamba here for you right now, I would. <laughs> he does get right back up again. <laughs> yeah, he gets um, shot in the head, sort of. <laughs> Crazy. I mean, the en- head. enough. I mean, okay, so uh, I mean, uh, Shannon's just a bad shot, right? And it's raining, and well, and Saeed sort of tackles her. So, so as as close as he could get the. As be, especially being a bald man, really just right, right up against. If he the had any hair, the bullet would have taken it with it. Yeah, There's... maybe it would have spun him around by his dread, his white man dreadlocks. I like this version of John Locke, white man dreadlock, John Locke. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we can't talk about exactly how they explain it, but they do explain at some point uh, later on the season or the series why Shannon knows about the key around Jack's neck and the case and where it is and stuff like that. So if you're like, Ooh, like this is a continuity issue. Uh, it's one that they like kind of try to uh, smooth over later. Yeah. That being you think said, a show that, that banks on flashbacks isn't going to go and retcon a few things later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that being the, uh, said, especially the, easy stuff. <laughs> can we get ahead. some crafty points to Shannon for 
stealing the key. I know he was drugged, but stealing the key off of Jack's neck and getting the guns, which is something that like a lot of other people on the island would have liked to have done. And Shannon's the one who got it done. This is I the think thing not about only props to Shannon, but props to the episode for knowing that you could do the scene that I've seen in like uh, uh, two dozen movies of steal a key from a sleeping person and decides not to and just cut to the chase. I mean, this is this is the thing about Shannon that I wish the show had leaned into more in this first season, which is like her capabilities beyond, uh, you know, knowing the lyrics to Beyond the Sea in French. Um, you know, like I like when Shannon is crafty and capable. And and there's a couple things this episode, you know, like this, her asking Saeed to basically kill John is similar-ish to her asking Charlie to get a fish for her, right? Um, And I do want to shout out to um, my Shakespeare friends. (laughs) Uh, If you're a Shakespeare fan and you saw this episode, like, this is a very similar to a scene in Much Ado About Nothing when, like, Benedict says to Beatrice, I love you, I will do anything for you, I love you so much, I'll do anything. And then she gets, like, super serious and she goes kill claudio because claudio like uh screwed over her cousin and and you're like shit and he's and benedict's like uh no anything (laughs) (laughs) and that's like definitely shannon's moment here she's basically like kill claudio you like me you think you want to make me stop crying kill that motherfucker who killed my brother um you know and and saeed uh to his credit does you know decides to do some detective work instead um I also want to shout out um, Saeed's really touching um, eulogy. Can I read it for you uh, in, in full? Yes, sure. Saeed says, I didn't know Boone very well. And for that, I am sorry. On our sixth day here, a wonderful, courageous, amazing woman named Joanna died. She drowned and Boone was the first one in the water. I didn't know him, but I remember his courage and I know he will be missed, but not as much as we missed Joanna because she was the best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All this while Michael Giacchino orchestrates Booneral. Booneral. <laughs> the Booneral swells. The Saeed talks about Joanna. Um, We're going to take this just as seriously as we can with close-ups of a sad Hurley. <laughs> Aww. Aww. Who just did some James Brown and it was great. Uh, I have a follow-up question for you guys. Yes. In the Lostopedia um, thing, article for this episode, they call the song that Charlie tries to sing um, the Incy Wincy Spider. Yeah. Although in a different place, they list it as the Itsy Bitsy Spider. Right. Uh, Is it the Itsy Bitsy Spider in your world, Neil? Yeah. And how about you, Dave? Itsy Wincy uh, Bitsy or Itsy Bitsy? No, hard hard T sounds. Yeah, I think Itsy Bitsy is like, right? Are you about to tell us that you heard Itsy Wincy when you were growing up? It's well, it's Itsy Bitsy in America, and it's Itsy Wincy in Australia and Great Britain. Uh, so. Okay, all right. And I and I think I think is isn't there a conversation where Hurley's like you got the lyrics wrong or something like that? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, but, he, but it's it's about drowning versus washing the spider out. Right. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying is like maybe the lyrics are different in the UK. Maybe Hurley mm-hmm. should be more tolerant of cultural differences. Is my point. Right. Anyway, uh, if you are not an American and are listening to this podcast, I would love to hear if you called it 
Incy Wincy Spider, Itsy Bitsy Spider, or m- maybe do you have this song in another language? Let us know. I'm actually genuinely curious. <laughs> Hostedstormpodcast.com. Thanks so much. I just like that Incy actually is like a word. I'm like, surely it's not. And I Googled it, but it's like, no, it's an informal. Surely that's it nonsense. Tiny. It, yeah. It's like I should. Incy, Incy, Itsy. <laughs> you know. Uh, Aaron, Aaron is an Incy. Incy. I'm just saying I need to start calling more of my friends Incy to rile them up. You know, get my (laughs) small jokes out. Okay. Give them a new flavor. Um, uh, Neil, I have a question for you. Yes. What do you think they could have done with this uh, terrorism plotline to make it not feel so cringy as it does? Well, I don't know. It's this one's really tough because you can kind of see what they're trying to do, which is there was a very vibe in that time on the non pro war side where it was like, Oh, the governments are like, you know, the governments are facilitating this on purpose. Like it was, it was starting at that time to become like, people were starting to ask like a lot of questions about the government and the Iraq war. And, um, so you can kind of see where the show's trying to go there by having these two like shady government agents. Uh, one of which is that guy really Australian? Is that that's he's this week's? Is this person really Australian? Um, I looked the it detective up or the, when I watched and then I forgot. Oh, let me look it up. Keep yeah. Uh, and se- secondary question is SIS a real thing in Australia? Um, Secret I don't, intelligence it, service. There we go. A, okay. ASI? Okay, cool. Yeah, oh, so it's, oh, the, it's Aus- the British intelligence service. Well, no, yes. uh, there's the Australian Secret Intelligence Service, ASIS. ASIS, uh, got it. Yes, because she says SIS and then he's Australian, right? Yeah. <laughs> he's trying I mean, to. I'm be. A, presumably the CIA is just there because it's uh, that time in world terrorism politics and the CIA would be everywhere. But right. I can't think of another reason why. Well, I guess Nadia, they know where Nadia is because she's in Los Angeles. But yeah, I mean, yes, it's, it's a weird, it's a, I'm happy that they did it when this show aired in 2005, because I imagine, you know, now you're living in a 24 parallel world. And so why not have, uh, even if it's like ham-fisted nuance and attempt at some sort of nuance rather than not. Yeah, like they're trying to go after the Shades of Grey that shows like 24 did not have. And I feel like right. maybe we, maybe Joanna talked to David Fury about this, right? Yeah. Do I remember mm-hmm. that correctly? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, they're, it feels, you can kind of see where Lost was trying, but yeah, it it's really tough <laughs> with this one. Uh, to watch it now it's the the episode itself is a very 2004 2005 thing all right i have the answer about our australian agent Mm -hmm. uh neil is he australian or is he not australian i think this one might be one of the actual australians dave is he australian or is he not australian i'm gonna go with neil and say yes David Ross Patterson, a.k.a. Agent Hewitt, is Australian. All right. Yay. We're getting good from at the numbers. <laughs> I hope they were on the set of the numbers and they're like, yikes, we can't do this again. <laughs> if I hear another bad Australian accent say beans, I'm going to shoot myself. 
More um, beans. Beans. <laughs> anyway. A billion beans. <laughs> Four billion beans. Charlie. Pardon me. I get very excited about my four billion beans. <laughs> um, how much time has passed since John Locke got drenched in um, Boone's blood? Like, how brown should his shirt be versus how red it still is? Well, I mean this uh, this a one day. does it's take place like day, over yeah. the course of one day. So, like, well, you would imagine that he maybe brought Boone back. Late. This is a day later, though. Well, so, right? but I'm thinking, like, he probably brought Boone back in the evening, maybe like a eight o'clock, nine o'clock. Like a, a dusk drop off. Yeah. Like, <laughs> last week's episode is sort of the overnight of what happened. And then, like, mm-hmm. this is the next, literally the next day. Okay. So That's my day, thought. This is day 42 on the island. Day 42. Yeah. Yeah. Which is one of the numbers it's worth pointing out. I don't mm, and also the meaning of life. So there Yes, you go. yeah. It's you know, so I guess Boone's death is what it all really means. What it what loss really was was about Boone and the people who kept going without him. Um Boone and Joanna. <laughs> right. <laughs> Boone and Joanna, yes. The the friends yeah. we lost along the way. So when Boone dies, which is Deus Ex Machina, that's day thirty nine through day forty one. So you're right. That Deus Ex Machina is the evening of 41. Uh, Do No Harm is the overnight of 41 to 42. And then this is day 42 on the island. Yeah. So much is happening here on this island. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. I'll, also, they're building I'll, that raft real fast. The raft is just coming together. I'll, I'll buy that. Uh, that lock shirt would still look like that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, that's one of the ways that's another one of the ways lost gets away with doing stuff. That's like really gross. Um, like we talked about in the pilot, the, the fact that they didn't use a lot of red in the pilot. Like you didn't see blood. You didn't see, you know, there weren't like blood soaked parts of the plane. Um, so when they use it, it really pops. So it's like, this is a reminder of like, John Locke was very much involved in Boone's death. So much so that most of Boone is on John Locke still. I like that. I really like that, Neil. <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> um, Dave, you are a close watcher of this show. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Should we be paying attention to when it starts pouring rain and when it doesn't? Like, what does it mean when it's pouring rain uh, on this island? And, and what does it mean when it's not? Should we? I think it's something to keep an eye on is what I'm going to say now, but I don't think we have any indications up to this point on the show uh, that it has a ton of greater meaning, except, you know, like Locke's able to predict storms around Boone, and then we get a lot of rain, or we got two rain fights with Ethan. And now we get a rain gun showdown. So it's definitely uh, around areas of heightened emotion, whether that's a dramatic tool or a story tool. Who knows? Maybe you're just filming in Hawaii and stuff starts raining. No, that probably doesn't happen. Maybe you're trying to, like, cover action scenes. (laughs) That might also be, yeah. (laughs) Be good. We have to have have a tussle. Uh, Let's wait till it rains. Do it in the rain. 
Get 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 the towers out, the rain towers that make probably like, I don't know, ten a ten foot square circle of jungle like look like it's pouring. It's gonna be it's gonna be worth it this time. Shannon's gonna shoot John Locke right right in the head. Which I mean every in terms of the the murders on the island so far, they're really not coming from the expected places. <laughs> we have like, you know, uh conman sawyer who fails to shoot like a marshal in the chest we have charlie who just like goes to town and unloads a clip on ethan and now we have shannon who's trying to shoot Locke. i would have put Locke, saeed and sawyer at the top of list of people who would have you know kill somebody first just goes to show uh don't have prejudices on the island don't even forget. when um ethan don't killed about scott the- <laughs> or steve Oh yeah! That Don't forget about the gross. waves that killed Joanna. Yes, the waves and <laughs> the riptide or whatever. Sh- I'm assuming a shark. Oh no! Oh, <laughs> oh poor Joanna. Oh no! You'd want it to be a shark. Why? Right? It would be over quicker than if it was like a bunch no, of little fish. Oh, fair. I mean, you would have drowned by then either way. Yeah, yeah. I think it's drowning versus shark. Yeah. Which, I don't know. That's kind of a coin toss to me, I guess. Sharks are pretty cool. Glad I'm not Joanna. (laughs) Aren't we all? (laughs) Uh, All right. Uh, Meanwhile, cutest subplot, little turnip head likes uh, Sawyer's voice, uh, which is adorable, but also gives uh, Charlie a reason to provide some levity uh, amidst uh, early 2000s terrorism discussions and uh, some battle of the wits uh, between Saeed and Locke. Uh, are we worried about the people going out on the raft? Michael seems very sure that they're not going to die, but as far as I could tell, this is the first time anyone's brought up that very real possibility that they're sailing out into the middle of nowhere. Um, sailing away. Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. I mean, so, poor Joanna got eaten by a shark. Oh, that's so, a good point. You know, or something. Yeah, of course. Of course, we should be worried for them. All right, I'm just check- yeah, checking. Yeah, I mean, with- it's good that Walt is asking questions. These are important questions that they need to answer. Is it going to flip over? Are we going to die? Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's dangerous out there on the uh, well, ocean. It's a good time to bring it up, but I also bring it up. They also bring it up this episode finally because we need to somewhat soften on Locke's otherwise nonsense arguments that I knocked you out for the good of the camp because you wouldn't have had a rational discussion yeah. with me. Yeah. Uh, which I feel like if anyone was going to have a rational discussion in those early episodes, it would have been Saeed and Locke. It certainly wouldn't have been any of the people, you know, trying to rest control in those early days. Uh, but apparently uh, that, you know, is Locke's position that he's willing to take and give Saeed that truth without giving up the hatch. It just feels like a real um, unwise decision based on faith to me that might put a lot of people in danger and keep them all stranded on a jungle of mystery Island. <laughs> I'm tied to Locke's whims in a jungle of mystery. 
But since we've been hobbled, <laughs> since we've been hobbled with the uh, shades of gray end of deciding if people made good decisions or not, hobbled. Apparently. Oh, like isn't television more interesting when it exists in the shades of gray? Why do you want some sort of dumb binary mustache twirling villain and like white hat wearing hero? Why would why would you want to watch that show? All. Even your best cowboys have daddy issues on the show. You know what I mean? Like, that's the kind of show we're watching. I feel like somewhere, maybe in the pilot, they had a character say there's one black player and there's one white player and that they're facing off against each other. And I feel like in a show that's been using symbolism like it has, we should be looking for antagonists and protagonists and yes that's going to be complicated but that's the interaction we're having with the show because i think that's the interaction the survivors are having with themselves yeah but i think i think the humanity of our characters who are here on the island is so much messier than like there might be a oh they're made up characters on a magical island well you can that's that's a (laughs) stupid pin to put in any balloon argument balloon I think uh, also like shades of gray. Oh, it's is all a weird it's pin. all made up. Like any any argument we have on this podcast, you can't just be like, oh well, it's all made up, so whatever, you know. Well, some some of our recent cast interviews might uh, disagree with that, but uh, fair fair enough. I mean, what I, what I'm saying is, like, is Shannon's form of justice seems extreme. Locke lying about, you know, his involvement with uh, Boone and the Hatch also seems extreme. But can't I like a person in this episode? And if so, which does it have to be one of those two? Is that too binary? Am I just on the side of Sawyer reading magazines? Can't you like a person? There's so many people to like in this episode. There's Saeed, who's doing a great job investigating Locke. There's Kate, who went ahead and gooped Jack, made him take a nap. That was great. Good job, Kate. Well gooped. Um, yeah, there's the, there's the ba- there's the three men and a baby crew. Like, there's a lot to like. And if you're talking about like who do I root for on Shannon versus Locke, <clears throat> I think that that is. Um, I mean, personally, I think it's most interesting if you're not sure who on on this who on either side of that gun is worth rooting for. Like Shannon is sympathetic, but also incorrect. I think that she just needs to shoot Locke and um, Locke has, you know, done potentially a bad thing, but I don't think it means he should die. I mean, Shannon, uh, you, you empathize with Shannon's situation, her emotional status, but the only reason that she believes that Locke killed him is because Jack just said Locke killed him. Like that's like, kind of where like if 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 and because Locke was cagey about it i guess um so it it does it feels like it's you know that the emotion takes over for shannon i do like that Locke like Locke tries to come to shannon and do like a make good right like a sorry i love his apology no i I love it too it's like a really solid apology he he just should have done it after washing his shirt instead of doing it and then washing his shirt (laughs) well i I think he he should have done it like immediately when he brought boone back he also right he should have told jack um yeah he should have told jack he didn't have to tell about the hatch you know if he told right like you know just tell him we found a plane and he fell off the cliff but um, I like 
I like Locke's apology too, but I also like that Shannon is just like, thanks. And then like in her head the whole time is like, I'm going to kill you motherfucker. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Like you think that she's totally accepted his apology. And then she's like, no. Fuck. Yeah. If anybody's on a dark path in this episode, (laughs) it's Shannon. Our girl Shannon. Although I do uh, with this John Locke thing, I do think that, John Locke's motives are a thing the show is totally cool with us questioning throughout season one. Like that's that's sort of the way, the the mind space that they'd like the audience to be in is we don't entirely know what John's deal is, um, but we do know that he's not entirely like he's if John were a terrible person he would con- he would just continue to lie. Um, but in this episode he he vacillates between omitting the stuff about the hatch and telling a lot of the truth. So um, it's interesting. He's, he's an interesting layered shades of gray man with the almost hole in his head. Boo. One black, one white. All right. <laughs> um, I mean, I feel like the show might be glad they put that in there later, but not quite yet. What? Yeah. No, you guys are probably right. <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, want to hold. I'm, I have a line that I'm holding and I finally get to take that line and wrench it out of the storm section into the calm section. So I relished this episode, <laughs> the greater good. Okay, it's like yeah. Saeed, obvious hero of the episode because he's, you know, or a protagonist of the episode because it's his flashback episode having a showdown of wills with Locke and it's Beechcraft. That part's cool. The rest, I may be confused about. That doesn't mean it's not good. Remember when Love. they killed Boone to show how it would negatively impact Jack and <laughs> Locke <laughs> and Saeed and a little bit Shannon? <laughs> well, I mean, well, if you yeah. ask Locke, it affected Shannon in a way that was, you know, very intense. <laughs> I guess so. All right. Is it, is it time for the most 2004 thing? I think it's time for the most 2004 thing. Okay. We have a few things there. We have... Uh, is it Assam? One of Saeed's. Is it Assam yeah. who's playing? Okay, Assam is playing Half Life on the PS2. Is it uh, checks being mentioned? Paper checks? <laughs> yeah. Well, no. Um, when Shannon is going through Boone's stuff, it's in like this wallet that's like a checkbook. So, like, yes. Boone carried a checkbook, which Boone's is a thing you only he had did on back him. then. Yes. 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 So, Boone's checkbook. I saw him playing Half-Life on PS2. The treatment of terrorism in this episode in general, I'm just going to hand wave and say terrorism in general. Uh, and Terror, then, the terrorism as a plot device was sure. a very 2004 thing. And then this episode being about Saeed and not fucking Shannon uh, is, I think, a 2004 thing. So what is it? Is it Boone's checkbook, terrorism in general, the Half-Life on PS2, or the fact that this episode is about Saeed? Uh, when we've already had a Saeed flashback and we still haven't had a Shannon flashback. I'm just saying. All right, Dave, what is your answer here? Um, Maybe because I've been playing a lot of Apex Legends, I'm going to go with Half-Life on PS2 because it's just like a couple seconds of that on a TV. I was like, oh. Uh, I'm going with Boone's checkbook <laughs> because the checks thing is weirdly real to me. Why do I remember having checks all the time? I don't know. It doesn't matter. And I will go with this episode being about Saeed and not fucking Shannon. Uh, my yep. most 2004 thing. You can vote on the most 2004 thing yourself if you go to uh, at Storm Podcast on Twitter. We will have a poll up this week. 
Let's talk about the holidays. Okay, I know, I know, it's it's crazy really to talk about the holidays, but trust me, you don't want to go through another holiday season taking closed mouth photos while everyone else is grinning ear to ear, do you? Getting a photo ready smile starts now, and it's and it's easier than ever with clear aligners from Candid. You know, Candid aligners they straighten teeth faster than traditional wire braces, which I had, which were horrible. This treatment just takes six months. On average, and an experienced orthodontist who is licensed in your state creates a custom treatment plan. So it's just, it's just like going to the dentist, but you don't have to get wires glued to your teeth that are then painfully ground off in your teenage years after you've had all your yearbook photos taken. Too late. Candid's aligners, though, they're comfortable, removable, and completely invisible. So, you know, on yearbook day, it won't even matter if you have candid aligners on. I don't know why I'm pitching this to people who still get yearbook photos taken, but it's important for all photos and selfies. Yearbook candid photos, chips- the most 2004 thing. <laughs> exactly, in this ad. Uh, candid ships your aligners directly to you. There's no hassle of going to an orthodontist's office, and candid costs 65% less than braces. That's 65% less than braces. And with each aligner purchased... Candid donates $25 to Smile Train, who brings safe, 100% free cleft lip and palate treatment to children around the globe so you can feel good about yourself and your smile. Damn, you gotta get on the Smile Train. Get your photo-ready smile by the holidays. Go to candidco.com slash storm and use code storm to get $75 off. That's candidco.com slash storm. Code STORM for $75 off CandidCO.com slash STORM code STORM. And now, right, is it time for us to to our interview with Jana Zagari. Thanks so much. Talk about fans, but not the ones you get sucked into. (laughs) So we are thrilled to have on the podcast Jana Zagari. I messed up her name before, but I did not... Do it now, right? Did I do it right? Yes. No, it was perfect. <laughs> oh, excellent. So if you heard me pronounce it incorrectly earlier, uh, be mad at me. But don't be mad at me now. Uh, Jana runs uh, social media at SiriusXM. She's formerly running uh, socials for Tumblr, Disney, and Marvel. Um, this is – I'm about to tell you something that maybe you don't know about Jana, which is that you are one of my very first Twitter follows – um, really? Like you were at Marvel at the time when I joined Twitter and I like followed you and Bonnie who was running um, Lucasfilm socials. And I was like, these are cool, like social media people to know and to follow. So, yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm honored. I'm <laughs> and I, like absolutely honored. <laughs> and I like studied your tweets to be like, how should I tweet? Should I be more like Jana? So yeah. Oh, you're... wow. Well, my tweets back there were very, um, they were very clean because, you know, I was working for Marvel and right. I was sort of this public face who is going to conventions and tweeting at fans and doing all this stuff. So I was not allowed to talk about anything controversial, uh, which has changed a little bit now. But um, so back then, it was very much, you know, kind of standard social media stuff. Right. Now you're a little bit free to be mad at the government. A little bit free. Yes. Very mad at the government. (laughs) Can you ever look at my Twitter? Uh, so I wanted to, to have you on uh, because you're a Lost fan, also because your husband is a huge Lost fan, um, but also uh, because uh, I know you know so much about like social media and fandoms in general and growing fandoms, and Lost is such a peculiar, interesting case of how the fandom grew. So I kind of wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. Um, but let's just start like back at the beginning, like your 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 
story of Lost. How did you come to Lost? How did you watch it? Did you watch it when you first aired? Did you watch it with your husband, who is apparently a super fan? Like, how did this all <laughs> come about? Yeah, so my story of Lost. Um, so I'll be perfectly honest. I don't remember exactly when I started watching. I don't think I started with the first season. I got in there at some point, caught up, and then was definitely watching live by, you know, like three, four, five. So it must have been somewhere in there with like the first or second season. Um, and then uh, as I had uh, DM'd you earlier, I went back and um, – and actually looked through Twitter advanced search and found some of my early lost tweets, um, like my, my live lost tweets from when I was live tweeting back in 2010. And again, these were, you know, very kind of strict social media stuff. So I wasn't saying anything. I wasn't spoiling anything. I would just be like, oh my God, hashtag lost. And like those were my types of live tweets that I did back then. It was all very exciting. Um, but uh, my husband and I didn't start dating until after Lost was off the air. And we have now watched Lost through twice uh, with the normal one. And then we've watched Chronologically Lost once. Have you guys ever watched Chronologically Lost? No, Neil and I just both gave each other like shocked looks uh, <laughs> in the studio. What is that? Okay, so permit me to blow your minds if you haven't heard about this yet. So someone at some point, I apologize to whoever actually created this because I don't know. They put Lost in chronological order and put it up as a torrent. So you can literally download like Chronological Lost and watch it through from the very, very first episode. And it starts with, you know... Uh, we say, uh, wait, wait, really quickly. Yep. Uh, we will do no spoilers. spoilers at the end. So. <laughs> so it starts with that episode that you probably remember. Yes, got and it. ends with that episode. But it is just like magical. I mean, it's, it, it opens up so many things for you that you would have never realized, um, you know, just things that happen later in the series. And, and, and I'm sure you can think of what I'm talking about, but it just really, it, it's such a unique way of viewing it. And I honestly became even more of a massive loss fan by watching it. Um, and my husband, obviously, who, as you know, is a huge Lost fan. He works for AMC Networks, and he's just a massive Lost nerd as well. Um, our son is actually named after one of the main characters. And I won't tell you who, because I don't post his name publicly, but I will tell you privately later. Okay. I was like, is it is it spoilery? What is it? Okay. That's fair enough. Fair enough. Keep your... Uh, keep your child's uh, identity secret. a secret. That is fine. Um, that's amazing. I kind of want to do that. Neil, should we watch Lost chronologically? I mean, I feel like we have to now. Yeah. Uh, this, this reminds me of there was, um, not that we advocate torrents or anything, but there is a, um, someone did do the Hobbit trilogy, but like only the stuff from the book cut. Oh, that's uh, awesome. That was really enjoyable to watch. Honestly. Yeah, I'm I was always very nervous about Torrance and I, I very much expected like the police to show up to my house one night and just be like, You torrented lost <laughs> and then I would get thrown in jail or something ridiculous. Um but it's amazing. If you can get it, I don't know where it exists on the internet now because gosh, I think we we watched it probably in like twenty fourteen or something like that. But I I know it exists somewhere and would definitely recommend you guys getting it. Neil, do you know your way around the dark web? Yes. 
I bet we can get it on the dark web. All right, we'll get it on the dark web. All right, um, so uh, let's talk a little bit about this episode specifically before we dive into some of these like fandom questions I have for you. But yeah. um, I we we're having you talk about uh, the greater good, um, which is Saeed episode. Uh, this is an episode that I think um, maybe hasn't aged super well um, with its <laughs> depiction of terrorist plots and who is a terrorist and who isn't and stuff like that. Um, what did you think of, of watching this episode for, I guess, the fourth time? Um, yeah. So, well, actually, the fifth time now. Oh, yeah. Because I watched time. it last right. night to prep for this. Um, but we recently, we just finished a Lost rewatch probably about a month ago. Um, so it was pretty fresh in my brain. Um I I will start this with Saeed is one of my absolutely favorite characters. Um, this is definitely not one of my favorite episodes. Uh, I don't, I, like you said, it does not age well. I don't love the whole tarot's plot. I don't love that whole thing. I don't love sad Saeed. It makes me very sad. Um, I also just want Locke to change his freaking shirt throughout this entire <laughs> episode. It makes me so mad. That's the biggest thing that I have in my notes is can Locke change his shirt like four lines later would Locke change his freaking shirt um, and it takes him so long to do it he's sitting and consoling Shannon covered in Boone's blood yeah. like I don't understand yeah. how at no point he felt maybe maybe I should take this off before I go talk to this grieving sister um but I think the biggest sort of thing about this episode is it just solidified how much I really despise both Locke and Jack. Um, Locke constantly makes his own decisions about what's best for everyone for staying, for trying to stay on the island. And Jack is constantly making his own decisions about what's best for everyone for trying to leave the island. Um, and my uh, my dislike ebbs and flows for both of these characters throughout, you know, different episodes and as things happen. But this was kind of, you know, I, I feel like this was the first episode where Locke was really, really sort of the villain here. You know, everyone's looking at him like, man, we hate you right now. Um, and it kind of starts to cement him as that, you know, he tries to redeem himself by talking to Shannon um, and show his remorse, but instead she just wants to kill him more. Uh, so it, it's, um, it's an interesting one, I guess I will say after talking for like 10 minutes. <laughs> no, no, that's great. Um, do you have a character who's already been introduced uh, that we can talk about in the spoiler-free section that um, is a favorite of yours? If Jack and Locke... Oh, gosh. Um, so, Saeed, Sun, said, right. I, I mean, obviously, Saeed, Sun and Jin are some of are easily two of my favorite characters. I love them so much. I love Jin so I mean, I don't love season one Jin, but um, I, I love sort of the, the character development that happens with Jin. You know, I love the character development that happens with Sun. Those two are just absolutely some of my favorites. Um, obviously Hurley. I mean, you can't, you can't not love Hurley. He's one of the best characters on the show. Um, I learned from looking back at my tweets that I really hated Kate back in like 2009, 2010, which yeah. I don't really remember. I know I still very much dislike Shannon. Uh, and I know, Joanna, you've kind of gone through like the redemption arc of, um, of Shannon. <laughs> but I'm, I'm still very much in the I don't love her camp. That was one thing in this episode that I wrote down to when she goes over to Saeed and she's like, um, you know, John Locke killed my brother. Will you do something about that? It just felt like such a like princessy Shannon line to say, like, would you mind just taking care of that, please? Um, 
but yeah, I mean, they're all the characters, they all have redeeming qualities and they all have terrible qualities. And that's literally what loss is about. But, uh, those from the ones that I can talk about, those are definitely my favorites. All right. Perfect. Um, and then I guess, uh, to kick off this sort of like fandom question, I have my very first question for you is that why aren't there more lost gifts on the internet? And can we make more lost gifts? I guess that's a question for me. Yes, I can make more lost gifts. So that is absolutely number one on my list of things that I wanted to talk to you about because I realized, you know, going through these rewatches that there's nothing out there. I mean, pretty much once you get past John Locke with an orange in his mouth smiling. It's like, that's basically the only lost gift that exists. And it's really just, it's so interesting to think about how different just everything would have been for this show if social media had been more prominent. You know, when Lost began, Facebook was only about six months old and Twitter was still two years away. Um, So it was really just at the very beginning. And once Twitter started, you know, then viewing parties started and it became more of that sort of appointment viewing and people watching together. But I mean, God, think about what Tumblr would have been like if Lost, I I mean, obviously, uh, Tumblr started in 2007. So Lost was still around. But think about like the height of Tumblr and what Lost really would have been like there. I mean, the fanfic that would have occurred on oh, that website yeah. would have been the Sawyer and Saeed stuff. Yeah. Either. The Sawyer. I mean, Saeed. not to say that that stuff doesn't exist, <laughs> but yeah. even more so. Yeah. No, I, I, I was wondering if you had any thoughts about um, something I think about a lot is um, the rise of Shit's Creek is something that I think about a lot in terms of social media because um uh, Shit's Creek, a uh, Canadian show that I really like, was on pop for a while. Then it definitely got a bump when it got on Netflix. But I think one of the reasons why Shit's Creek has become so popular with people, especially people who hang out on Twitter all day, is because the geniuses at Shit's Creek made a reaction gif for like every single occasion that's like clearly branded Shit's Creek with like the white and yellow font. And they just like, it just comes up with everything. And like, so suddenly people are like, who are these faces that I see over and over and over again in these gifts? And I'm just like, I don't know if you've ever thought about the power of the Shit's Creek gifts, but I'm kind of obsessed thinking about how that can elevate your awareness of a show. Oh, I absolutely have. And it's really interesting to see how these shows have started to partner with Giphy and really get that content out there. I'm also a massive Schitt's Creek fan and didn't start watching until Netflix and was so happy that basically every every scene from that show has been gift and like put on Twitter. Um, But what I loved so much about the Emmys this past weekend was that Schitt's Creek was live tweeting with just gifts from the show. Nice. So they were reacting as the Emmys were happening with gifts that, that were on Giphy. And it was just like such an interesting use of social and, um, and, and Giphy just in general has been just such like a meteoric rise and obviously partnering with Twitter and having that readily available is really amazing. But what I love the most about it is obviously a, the shows do it and then b just the fans do it. Um, and, and that you can upload them to Giphy yourself and really get, those scenes that you want and that exact scene that you want from a show and really get it out there. I mean, um, there's so many scenes from the show that I definitely can't mention right now because we're in the (laughs) the spoiler free section, but that I would just love to have gifts of. Um, And uh, it's really, really interesting to think about the, almost the first thing you do when you're live tweeting is you go and you try to find the right gif or you want to talk about how you felt about an episode. You're finding the right gif. Um, 
when I was watching the Emmys, I was just constantly trolling the flea bag gifts and trying to find the right ones for how I was feeling about, you know, Phoebe Waller Bridge being the most perfect human on the planet. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, man, Twitter releasing the Giphy functionality really, I would say, like changed the Twitter game for sure, which was not the original point, but is definitely what I think about a whole lot. No, it's it's interesting. So like, uh, as you say, you pointed out like when fa- Facebook was created, when Twitter was created. So this Lost really is at this fulcrum of like how we watch TV, how we watch TV socially, whether uh, you know, if it's socially online. So X-Files, I think, is mentioned a lot as, like, the first yeah. real online TV fandom, right? And then, like, Buffy had a pretty healthy online fandom that I was a part of. But I think Lost really ramps up. Um, there was, like, an official ABC message board called The Fuselage, which our uh, friend of the pod, Lindsay Romain, talked about when she was on the show. So the message boards... And then, yeah, and then Twitter coming along two years later, the the creators of the show doing a podcast about it. It just really feels like at the beginning of all this new way of watching uh, TV. And it wasn't even just, you know, obviously when a show is over, you want to talk about it with your friends, but every episode was a mystery for Lost and you had to figure stuff out for yourself. Lost encouraged analyzing every single possible thing you could think of. And the best way to test out your theories was to talk to people online and go to those forums and go to those message boards. You know, obviously Lostpedia is one of like the most incredible websites that has ever been created. And I definitely read through the greater good uh, description before (laughs) calling into this. Very helpful. Um, But uh, it, it just really... There never was a show like Lost, and I don't think there ever will be again. It was just, it was that just such a a unique time in history, and really just kind of on the precipice of that whole live tweeting, live watching, live experiencing a show with everybody else. Um, and it's, I, you know, I, I often think about what it would be like if it was happening today, and you know. Um, my husband actually asked me before we started, he was like, they might ask you a question about what you would think if, uh, if episode one premiered today. Um, and I was like, well, I don't think anyone would watch it because no one watches things live anymore. Yeah. And, you know, everyone would be watching it the day after a week later, whatever it is. And, you know, you do have to wonder just what kind of success it would have really had in this day and age. I mean, I know obviously you're a huge Game of Thrones person you are and and I am as well. And people keep talking about how Game of Thrones is the last show. It's the last one that everyone will experience together online. And I think that is just ridiculous. Like social media evolves, TV evolves. We are going to continue to find ways to experience media together. And Game of Thrones might be the last real appointment viewing show because out of everything, no matter what, if you did not watch Game of Thrones live, you were getting spoiled within 30 seconds of that episode being over. And no other show has really been like that in recent years, I feel like, where everyone is watching it at the same time, no matter what. Game of Thrones is the only show that I have watched live in years because I knew that if I didn't, I would immediately get spoiled. Yeah. Um, it's it's just thing. really interesting to think about. Yeah. Um that that uh, idea of online spoilers or spoiler culture pushing Game of Thrones to be appointment viewing um, in a way that can only benefit HBO. So you're welcome for the spoilers, HBO. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. Um, so there's this um, 
this piece that I sent you that you said you had already read called Lost to History of the Fandom, which is on uh, denofgeek.com if you guys want to read it. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's a pretty good comprehensive sort of rundown of where Lost in the Fandom was at, at this turning point. But, um, I really liked, you know, sort of towards the top of the piece. The author writes, uh, the story of the Lost fandom is really the story of how cult fandoms abandoned their cult status and went mainstream with an assist from the burgeoning internet. So this idea that, like, if you were a Buffy fan or if you're an X-Files fan, like, sure, you had your online community, but you were still a geek. But it's like um, – but, you know, I mean, X-Files is hugely popular, but it was still like if you were obsessively on the message boards, that was that was geek behavior, right? Whereas with Lost, I feel like we start to get the mainstreaming of that, right? And it's just sort of like everyone is doing this. Everyone is hopping online to talk about this. It's not – it's no longer a niche thing at all. Um, and, and this is where we see it really, really start. Um, do you have any ideas about like – was it just like the right show, the right time, the right like forces aligning? Was there anything that you know of that ABC did to like push that? Like what what was going on at the time? I think right show, right time. I mean, it it just it checked all the boxes. And I think where it differed from, you know, Buffy, Exiles, etc., is at the beginning, it didn't really seem like there was that much weird stuff going on. You know, like you started it and you were like, oh, man, these people are shipwrecked. What's going on? Okay, there's some weird stuff. There's some weird sounds in the in the jungle. We don't know what's going on there. But, you know, Buffy and Exiles from the beginning, they were fantasy shows. You know, they were they were weird topics and, and it was aliens and it was vampires and it was this and that. And to watch those, you knew what that show was going in. You didn't know what Lost was going in. It was such a mystery for so long. And I feel like because of that, it really picked up more of that mainstream audience than a Buffy and an X-Files where it was, that was still very niche fandoms. And, and they became obviously much more popular and much more broad reaching. And even to this day, I mean, I didn't watch Buffy live. I watched it when I was in college, I think, um, and, you know, kind of watched everything through. Um, but Lost was really that sort of, it was that like easy mainstreamy show. And then it just started to get weird. <laughs> and then people were like already along for the ride. And, and I, I do think you're right. I think it really brought that sort of like geeky weirdness to the mainstream and really allowed you to sort of be like, Oh yeah, I'm going to go on this message board and talk about this stuff and open up just a totally new world for people and how they were consuming their media. Yeah. And so one thing that I think is really interesting about that, that down of geek article is how much, uh, column space it dedicates to one solitary person, which is Jeff Jensen, yeah. who is someone <laughs> that we've like, maybe talked about a little bit on the show, but is the number one, like, this is the beginning of, I would say, sort of like the celebrity TV blogger. Like, um, Emily Vanderroof, who was, um, on the podcast talked about how Lost was formative for the beginning of sort of, of her career. Basically, any, any person who's been writing TV for long enough will be like, I remember the Lost days and what that did. Alan Seppenwall's talked about, like, uh, what that did to sort of, like, boost my profile as someone who writes about TV, but no one, like, touch Jeff for what he was doing. And and one of the points of this article is that um, because Jeff approached the show not as like a TV critic, but as not as a fan, like um, I, I'm kind of hard on Chris Hardwick, like not quite like the Hardwickian sort of approach, but like 
basically this is like he he treated his Entertainment Weekly columns as if like they were a Reddit post and that was brand yeah. spanking new, right? I mean, it's it's yes. kind of crazy. And certainly like, I mean, I benefit from that. You know, like Jeff Jensen, what Jeff Jensen did with Lost is what I ever aspired to do with Game of Thrones and never even got close, but like, because he was just the guy. Um, so yeah, so like, I don't know if you have any thoughts about that sort of like, so like celebrity voice on, um, on a show, a, a fandom leader in that way. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's so interesting what Jeff did, because again, it was so new. So I think the site was just like, hey, go for it. I mean, if this is what you want to talk about, this is why how you want to analyze loss, like go for it. But you don't really see as much of that, like very in-depth analysis on the mainstream sites anymore. You know, like, like you said, you do these incredible Game of Thrones articles, but I'm sure you would want to go a thousand times deeper, but you have to do something that a lot of people are going to want to read and not necessarily everybody wants to read that like super crazy in-depth, you know, every single aspect of, of a, an episode or whatever it is. And that's really what Jeff was doing. I mean, God, he, he went so in depth and so into it. And I think, again, it was just kind of that like right place, right time. Whereas now when you look for those types of articles, you know, you're going into the smaller websites, you're going into Tumblr, you're going into like screenshot notes app on Twitter posts types of things. Um, because it, the, I feel like the more like larger mainstream sites are more about, you know, just the, the episode recaps or, um, Hey, these were a couple of really cool things about the show, but not necessarily diving super deep in. And then every once in a while, there's that like super nerd post about whatever the show is or whatever the episode is. Yeah. I think you have to be cognizant of the fact that like, you know, Jeff used to do just like pages and pages and pages of just solid text. And I feel uncomfortable having too many paragraphs without a gift. That's my like <laughs> twitchiness. Like I need some visuals. I feel like maybe it's me underestimating the reader, but I feel like I need some like visual stimulation in there to break it up a little bit. Um, and so that's something that I do, but like, and yeah, as you say, you have to make it a zippy ish read because people don't like, there's so many things online now. If you're reading something, it's like, um, you know, the average reading time of a thing or the like, uh, progression bar on an article or stuff like that to be like, don't worry, folks. This won't take you that long. Um, because that's <laughs> the how people... TLDR at the top yeah, of the article. Yeah, exactly. Cause you have to keep going. Um, so just, I'm, I'm wondering from your, from your place of expertise, having worked in like some of the biggest fandoms in the world, um, what do you see as some of the we've already talked about like the rise of Giphy and and what Twitter did and all that sort of stuff and the rise of recap podcasting and the celebrity blogger but like have there been other things that we might not be aware of on the outside I don't know if there's any like not trade secrets you can't share or whatever but like big huge turning points in the way in which online fandoms exist and how we think about um, how to digest our, our media our pop culture yeah I mean I think you have to look at Marvel when you think about that and, and just what they have done over the past 10 years of films and, and just how they've sort of evolved the characters in the world and, and everything that they've done. I mean, I was, um, I was, can't, I think it was, I was working at my, I both interned and worked at Marvel. So I was trying to think year wise, but I was working at Marvel when the first Avengers movie came out and it was unbelievable. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm running Facebook pages for Hulk and Iron Man and Captain America and, and this, that, and the other, and just trying to really, you know, get people into this. And at the time, 
Disney and Marvel were releasing a trailer every two minutes because they were trying to get people into it and they were really trying to, to make it a massive movie, which obviously it was, it was one of the most massive movies ever. Um, and, and I think that really, again, started that sort of more mainstream nerdiness of like, everyone's a Marvel fan. I mean, everyone, you know, everyone loves a Marvel character. Everyone loves a Marvel movie. You're really hard pressed to find people who aren't unless they're the type of people who are like, Oh no, I don't watch superhero movies or like, I don't, I don't do that type of thing. But, um, I, I think Marvel just really, really changed the game with fandom and, you know, because there's so much history behind it, obviously actual, the actual comic books and, comparing the movie to the comics and and where did that storyline come from? And is that costume from this artist? And, you know, where did this come from? And it just really, really changed things, I would say. And and it became not, it, it just became like cool to love superheroes, which I love. And I'm so happy it went that direction. I'm definitely not one of those like gatekeeper fans who are like, hey, you can't love this thing because you haven't loved it for as long as I have. You know, the more the merrier. Um, and, and the more that you can do to bring people into the things that you love, the better. And that's what social media does. I mean, you look at Tumblr and Stucky and like just all of the different, um, the different Avengers ships and fandoms and all of that. And it's really just... It, it's really incredible. And without sort of, uh, you know, telling tales out of school or whatever, how much do you, you find that these corporations, um, inc- like, you know, when there's something like Stucky, which is the, uh, <laughs> the Bucky <laughs> Steve ship, uh, that, that's a, it's a big deal on, on social media. Um, or like, let's, let's take, uh, you know, something that's ongoing, the Raylo fandom, right, in, in Star yep. Wars. Um, from your, you know, without naming names or whatever, how much do corporations talk about this? How much do they value it? Um, do they encourage it? Do they discourage it? Like, what is your experience with how those kinds of like fandom, deep, deep fandomy stuff, um, how much are corporations paying attention? Yeah, so I would say that and this is from a completely unofficial stance of like definitely not saying this in, in a this sort of professional capacity. But um, I think the higher up levels of the corporation might not necessarily be thinking about it. But that social media manager who is programming that content day to day is absolutely thinking about it and is trying to figure out how they can slip Stucky in without it being too overt, too obvious. It's going to play to the fans who want to see it. But for those who don't get it or don't want to get it, they're not going to notice it. And I think that's such just a fun thing. I mean, um, uh, my friend Michelle, who, you know, handles yes. the Star Wars Twitter. Yeah. Um, she I, I love seeing she'll tweet things on her personal account of like, hey, 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 like slip this into Star Wars Twitter today. And I just like love that because that's the type of thing that I used to do with Marvel and with Disney. Um, you know, when I when I managed uh, all of the Disney princess pages at Disney, you know, I was slipping in just like stuff that I loved from the movies. And I would just program the stuff that I thought that fans would want to see because I was a fan and I knew that it was something that I would respond to. And that's how I've always approached social media, whether for, you know, the nerdy brands or whether just for brands in general, what do I want to see when I scroll through my feed? If I look at something and it's overtly marketing or promotional or whatever, that's going to turn me off. So how do I adjust that copy to, 
you know, do the thing that we need to do from the corporation side, but also have it be a real fan thing. Um, and it's a constant battle, I would say, for the people running these accounts and trying to figure out that balance between being respectful for the fans, you know, doing what they need to for their bosses and for their company goals, um, but still slipping in that fun stuff. Um, and, and that's, I, Tumblr was one of the just most fun jobs I've ever had because I got to go nuts. I could pull anything out of Tumblr that I wanted and feature it on Twitter. We were doing slime posts at 3 a.m. You know, we're doing Stucky fandom. We're doing BTS stuff. We're doing all these different ships. Um, my uh, absolute goddess of a friend, Amanda Brennan, who is literally a meme librarian. Um, if you don't follow her, you should. She's continuance on Twitter. She is one of the smartest people I have ever known in my entire life. And she like basically has Tumblr in her brain. And she does this this thing every week called fandometrics where they literally analyze all of the top tags and topics on Tumblr every single week. And I would just go to that list and be like, okay, what's at the top of the ship list this week? Who's at the top of the music list this week? Let me grab those people, bring it into the programming um, and really just like give the fans what they want, because that's what you need to be doing with these nerdy brands. The fans want that content. So you need to give them what they want. Um, I love that. I, I think that's a great approach to sort of like thread the needle, right? And sort of like make sure you're feeding the fandom, but not betraying sort of the ideals of the corporation, which can I think it be a tough line to walk sometimes, I'm sure. Yes, <laughs> for sure. A thing for you too. All right. So one last one last spoiler free question for you uh, before we hit a few storm questions on that. So that is um, you sent me a quiz that you wrote for OhMyDisney.com. I did. In 2014. <laughs> Which is, um, how well do you know Lost? Um, which is something that I think all of our listeners should take. Maybe I should have made Neil take it before we started talking uh, right now. I mean, I want to preface this with, you know, this is not a super difficult quiz. It's not difficult, she says. This was one of those ones where I had to make it pretty family-friendly, as they would say. But, um... Oh My Disney, uh, if you guys don't know what it is for all of your listeners, is a fantastic pop culture website um, that we started back in, God, I guess it was 2013 when I was at Disney. And it's basically just Disney nerds talking to Disney nerds. And it's so much fun. And I got to do so many fun quizzes on there. Um, like, which bell are you based on your dress? And just like all this like really fun stuff. So just one day I was like, hey, I see there's some lost images in this server over here would you guys mind if I did a lost article and they let me which was wonderful there's like one or two semi-difficult questions but um, uh, it's a lot of fun I like They're how you said right that but Neil is just like giving me these Neil's taking it right now and he's giving me these terrified looks he like <laughs> just showed me a question that I also don't know the answer to so uh we are okay, well that makes me feel better <laughs> We're a little worried. It's a. I will say the question that he showed me was a little spoilery. So this is a this is a spoiler quiz. If you want to take it uh, over on Oh My Disney, uh, how well do you know Lost uh, that Jenna wrote? And um, uh, you could take it, but it has some spoiler questions on there. Okay. Yeah, spoiler alert for yes. sure. All right, everyone. This is the time where we take a moment to thank folks who are members of the small council on our Patreon, patreon.com slash storm spoilers. If you'd like to get your name on this list, we read you once a quarter and we say thank you. And I will start this week with the following folks. Randy Elaine, Jen, Rich Lyman, Moira Burke, Rachel Matusik, Jeff Cooper, 
Stephen Fusco, Angela Flunker, Christopher Holmquist, Alicia Gressla, Elliot Goldbaum, Dharma Jess, oh hey, uh, Tay, Darth Fishius, Logan Wagner, Kevin Mullaney, Carol Blaine, Monica Rickman, Ruby Durham, and Tanya Shrum. Thank you all very much. I would also like to thank a few folks, starting with Dennis Ramirez, Crystal Kirk, Josh Froschheiser, Rebels Rebels, Alyssa Scott, Ellen Rabin, Ryan Allwood, Kian Yu Yu, uh, Joao Bailey, Liz Major, Brian Morosky, uh, Randy Blash, Craig Esther, Brittany Whimsy Riot, Sam Cohen, Sean, Kate Whitney, Amber Vickers, Shosev Odale, and Patricia Delaney. Thank you guys so much. And I would like to add in thanks to Tim Wiseman, Carrie King, Melissa Horsfall, Mariana Coto, Nate, Robbie Rapass, Jose Cordova, Emily Ralph, Amy Gomez, Maggie Craddock, L'Oreal White, Chris Miracle, Brandy Mandato, Katie Touchon, it's French, <laughs> Judy Wick, Cameron Fowler, Erland Holbeck, Julie, Sor- Julie Sorrells, Delane Mitchell, and Amy Calhoun. Thank you guys very much. You make this show possible. And we're back in this section we usually talk about whether or not uh Locke is a villain but luckily we have an email from one of our listeners here uh to to get us thinking stormy right Joanna Yes we do and I'm so delighted to start with that rather than the other thing that you want to talk about always um well we did technically start with that because that was a while ago but I just got it in early. Now it's part of the calm. Now it's like, welcome to the show. My name's Dave Gonzalez, Locks the Villain. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this came from Melissa based on something she was talking about in the Slack, and I asked her to email it to us. So thank you so much, Melissa, for doing so. Um, just listen to the most recent episode of the pod. Background to my question is I watched Lost Through once on Netflix when it was there around 2007, 2008. Never again. And I'm not rewatching it now, just listening to the podcast and trying to remember. Has anyone talked about parallels between John Locke as a tragic figure and Daenerys Targaryen? Um, so do you want any more background on that or do you just want to go, uh, from that? Uh, we could try just going from that unless there's. I can see it. Can I, I see it? Well, okay, so in this I, way, I think I can explain this. All right, hit me. Jack Jack obviously would be Jon Snow in this. Sure, story. okay. <laughs> so they are both characters who are driven by, ultimately by sort of a, well, I guess, especially early on in a sing- that singular purpose. Hers is, I need to take back what is mine with fire and blood. John's is, I need to know why I'm on this island, because I'm obviously here for a reason, which I believe is John's ultimate purpose, is he is the one exploring what it is, why, you know, his faith is constantly tested, but reaffirmed, and it's it's all about him discovering what the hell's going on with the island. So I think in that way, they are very similar, that they, that no matter what happens to them along the way, they do always come back to that sort of singular goal. 
Maybe. I think that definitely the Jeremy Bentham arc uh, reads as like tragic hero to me. Uh, but otherwise, there really is something about like the dangers of complete faith in a mystery object that differentiates that from uh, Daenerys's like need to like free people. Because it seems like if uh, Locke and Daenerys were slightly closer types of people, um, Locke would like sort of revel in his power. He'd be like, you know, I was in a wheelchair and now I could walk because that's what basically like having dragons is. I do think Daenerys would 100% tell everyone that she was in a wheelchair previously. Right. And uh, (laughs) she would, that would be among her titles. It would be like Daenerys, breaker of chains, walker of the... No, people. <laughs> no. I can't do it. Breaker wheelchairs or something. Breaker, like uh, stander upper. No, stander upper. Daenerys the upright. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, but I do think you know it's. I'm. Th- I guess the the thing that I would be looking for if I were to compare the two characters is one of the problems I had. Uh, with the final season of Game of Thrones was there wasn't a lot of track laid for Daenerys's turn, or at least there wasn't enough track laid that we were in previous seasons talking about how, like, you know, her potential Targaryen madness or how stuff was being stripped away from her and she was being left alone in the world. Uh, so was a bit more weird when she made that decision. When Locke eventually, you know, becomes inhabited by the bad guy, even though it's not his decision, it doesn't place him in a not Locke position in the show. There's still a period of time where they're like, you know, the man in black's walking around in Locke's body, but he still has Locke's storylines. He's still, you know, going to places in the jungle and talking to people about stuff. The same thing Locke was doing for the previous season. Being seasons. generally helpful about yeah. survival stuff. So it's, I, I think there's less of a decision point, which that might actually make John Locke more tragic, but it does, <laughs> it does make, uh, I think his point of complete faith even more troubling though, because he's already there. Like he's already the Locke that he's going to be when he wants. He seems he, very sure that, that there's a reason why he's on the island. Well, and trying to get people to stay on the island and not wanting them to go off is eventually the thing that kills him, which is he needs to die to get everybody back. But, like, keeping people on the island is not healthy for John Locke. And I don't know if he wins. Daenerys, to a certain extent, wins, and then she gets stabbed. But I don't know if there's, like, a John Locke win before uh, the man in black has to take over. Yeah, I mean, I think so John Locke might be a failed bad guy. I think some of these nuances are are really good, but I like this larger, and I agree with a lot of them. But I, I like this larger idea of like people who feel like for the greater good, right? Like people who feel like they're destined to lead, and if everyone just that they have faith in something, Daenerys feels like she has a purpose, right? She's destined to lead. She's destined to take her throne. It's hers by right. It's hers by destiny, right? Um, and and Locke is like the same. I am I am destined for some greater purpose than being like a desk, you know, a desk jockey uh, in a 
a box factory, you know? Um, and so their, their belief in themselves as these sort of messianic figures and the terrible tragedy of them being very wrong in both counts. Um, there's a lot of nuance that differentiates those two things, but I think those two things are true about both of them. So, um, I'm just glad they that both should have listened to their science guy. It is interesting that, um, in this scenario, then it's not Jack who kills Locke. You know what I mean? Locke's death is super interesting in that regard. Um, I think. Oh right. yeah. Well, you got to make a Ben an interesting character because he. Oh yeah, Ben was real. Scene. Oh yeah, Ben was really uh, suffering for uh, interesting. <laughs> no, um, no, I'm sorry. Make Ben an interesting character is wrong. You have to insert the brilliant performance of Ben into as much of the show as possible. Yeah, that's true. Um, all right. So one thing that our listeners pointed out to me in our Patreon Slack that I had not thought about, um, that is, are you ready to have your minds blown? Maybe you saw this already, but I'm going to blow your minds. Maybe I'm going to try. Okay. Uh, we bury Boone day 42. Mm-hmm. Shannon gets shot day 48. <laughs> that is a bad week. oh my god i forgot how quickly that that is one thing that as i was going through my sort of watch ahead um that i was like i forgot how quickly shannon's gone after boone is gone and not actually i mean like yeah i mean it's well like if you're binging it season one to season two i guess in real time it was like a year right of, like she dies, she gets shot in abandon, which is the sixth episode of season two, right? So there's like, uh, what born around like what four more episodes of this season, yeah. and then six episodes, so ten episodes later, right? Well, but she also gets to do the whole press tour, about, right? Like, Summer oh, hiatus, you know, like blah, blah, blah. yeah, um, Comic-Con or whatever. If that mm-hmm. was that was probably happening, yeah. But, oh yeah. But I was just thinking, like on the island. <laughs> <laughs> Boom dies six days later, Shannon's done, and everyone's like, Well, that's it for the Lannister twins. Well, I, <laughs> I always thought it was funny that, you know, in this episode, as I was rewatching it, where Locke is just basically like, Yeah, Jack just called me a murderer in front of all these, the only people I've met in the last 30 days. And it's like, yeah. oh, Right. They have only been there for just longer than a month. And yeah. yet, you know, so many of them have learned how to murder people with guns yeah my months are not that busy no not at all (laughs) my years are not that busy (laughs) i didn't almost get shot in the head this month shannon's brother dies she shoots a guy in the head she gets a dog right she starts seeing a ghost of a tall child dribbling water from his mouth she may be a sex aside unclear and then she dies I mean, it's all in a week. A week? Nah. Anyway. I think it is interesting what things uh, Lost remembers from week to week. Like, it seems like, yes, Jack giving blood seemed very traumatic for him. And yes, he did tromp around the jungle, you know, for a whole thing. But he's, like, basically out this entire week. Charlie kicked heroin in between episodes, like, <laughs> entirely. So, yeah, it is interesting that's like... Yeah, Shannon's uh, brother died, and like within that same week, she starts seeing ghost waltz. I mean, which uh, makes, I mean, we'll get to this in season two, but it makes Saeed being like, 
are you sure? Or are you just still a little stressed? Like feel a little less patronizing when you think that it's like the same week that her brother died. It's still a little patronizing when Saeed does that. Like given that he heard whispers in the jungle, we'll get to this sometime in th- this year. Um, but- right before Star Wars. <laughs> well, goodbye, Shannon. Hello, Star Wars. Um, I actually think that's the exact schedule. Yep, yeah, that's the exact is. schedule is, is abandoned as the last episode yep. of the Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Oh, Adios, Shannon. Don't even, the call people don't even know what they're doing. They have no idea. To. We're about to drop a five week cliffhanger. Well, not really. This is like a five weeks of no Shannon. Um, yeah, so that's a, that's a big, big week for this fam. Um, and, you know, I have my my heart goes out. I really I just like when the, the fact that Shannon steals the gun, uh, you know, steals the key, steals the guns, um, which, as I said, they retcon in an expose um, is. Uh, and then they don't use her like that. She she should have been a, an, an antagonist, like a really smart, fucking crafty antagonist. If they're going to like. Soften Sawyer up as quickly as they do. She should have been the shit stirrer um, among the survivors. For at I least would go well, for that, right? That yeah. would have been really fun. Yeah, I mean, she's a totally capable asshole. Yes. So you know, and and is sympathetic. Like she could have also had her like Sawyer thaw. Like that arc, it just could have been like on a longer thing. Maybe I don't know. It's just all it's, all she sh- needed was for her half brother to die. All, all I needed here was a fucking Shannon episode. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I love Saeed and I love Naveen, but like it's it's really really bullshit. So yeah, um, just weird timing. But we needed that Beechcraft showdown. We got it. Is now there any? To... Oh, I was going to ask the same thing. I don't think so because I think we're in the clip at the end of season one where. It's going to be a lot of, we're going to have a lot of uh, revelations in the calm of a lot of our themes, I think. And then uh, the storm's going to be, you know, fun Easter eggs. But we got, we got a whole bunch of story coming up. Um, whole bunch of hatch stuff. And some old clickety clack. <laughs> old, old clickety clack in the hatch. <laughs> uh, what is next week's episode? Is it Born to Run? It is Born yeah. to Run. Yes. Then that's pretty is. funny that like Kate freaking doses Jack in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Next week's episode, someone gets dosed and Kate's like, why would you suspect me? <laughs> I don't know, Kate. Why? You're out, the, you're out there gooping people. <laughs> the only other person who's been gooped is dead now. So we have no evidence that gooping's even a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Next uh, week is but- extremely a Kate episode extremely kate episode all right so until next week where can people find more of your work online let's start with neil miller this week oh you can always get me over at the film school rejects.com we're gonna be doing some fun coverage of fantastic fest this month it'll be fun oh, and excellent. uh uh at rejects is my twitter handle i totally remembered that uh and don't forget to follow the show at storm podcast it's great and joanna robinson yeah, I will also be in Austin for like over a week. I'll be living in Austin for Yay, a fun while. <laughs> uh, going to Fantastic Fest. We're seeing like Taika's new movie, Ryan Johnson's new movie, and seeing something Parasite. that'll make all of our listeners jealous. You'll probably get to see Nico at least 
ones. Ah, oh, yes, they'll see Nico. I've I've heard some rumors about the secret screenings that are really exciting. So, Ooh. uh, yeah, we're gonna have fun time, fantastic fest. Um, so you can follow along. Um, uh, at Joe wrote this. Uh, I will be tweeting about what I will be seeing. I'll also be writing about it a bit at VanityFair.com. You can uh, hear me talk about film festival shenanigans over on the Little Gold Men podcast. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can follow me on Twitter at DA7E. You can also listen to me talk about things on the Fighting in the War Room podcast. Not this week. We did a whole bunch of award show stuff in like a game. So I pieced out. But uh, if you definitely want to hear me eviscerate It Chapter 2, there's last week. And of course, next week, you'll have some fun. So uh, make sure to check for that wherever fine podcasts are distributed. And don't be like poor old Boone Carlisle. And don't fall down. <laughs>